or reason for the call today, John, is... Welcome to Internal Use Only. Something just came across my desk, John. It is perhaps the best thing I've seen in the last six months. If you have 60 seconds, I'd like to share the idea with you. Got a minute? A podcast for wholesalers. Always be closing. Always be closing. By wholesalers. Blue Horseshoe loves Anacott Steel. Okay, before we get started, I have one question. Has anyone here passed a Series 7 exam? I have a Series 7 license. Good for you. You can get up. Let's cut to the chase. Here's your host. Dan Sullivan. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Internal Use Only. Our season one finale features a repeat guest ETF wholesaler. If you have not had the chance to listen to our first interview, make sure you do because it will set the stage for a lot of what we end up discussing here in our conversation today. Because it's season one finale, we did switch it up a little bit. This one is called the exit interview. So ETF wholesaler recently resigned his post as an external wholesaler. And because we have a community of internal, external salespeople, managers, analysts, really everywhere in between... I thought it would be very interesting to have a conversation about what went through that decision-making process. What did he consider from a career path standpoint? What are the things that he'll miss the most about uh, investment sales? And what are the things that he won't miss at all? So as always, we had a ton of fun. I'm so happy that he joined us. We also have so much happening for season two, which I am thrilled about. So stay tuned for updates. In the meantime, check us out on Instagram internal use only podcast that's all going to get updated soon season two is going to be phenomenal i hope that if everyone's enjoyed this you stick around for season two where we can continue to build and grow this so i don't have too much else to say as always i appreciate you tuning in send this over to any colleagues or coworkers or friends that you know that might be interested uh, and enjoy the interview so here we are the exit interview with etf wholesaler We are welcoming back one of our favorite guests on the podcast today, ETF Wholesaler. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, it's, that's a wonderful honor. Uh, one of the favorite guests. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. I've received multiple texts from some of our listeners that the, the storytelling capabilities and the way that you presented your experience as a wholesaler so far was, was spot on. So thank you again for being a part of this and also for joining in a, a new segment. We're calling this one the exit interview. What's been up since we last spoke? Yeah, so thank you. Uh, yeah, I I think we talked probably at the beginning of the year, around February, March, somewhere around there. Yeah, um, well, part of the dark winter here in New England. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and since then, uh, we have moved out of the Pacific Northwest. Um, from a personal standpoint, uh, the lady and I have decided to kind of travel around the U.S., while our jobs are remote, while um, in-person meetings aren't really a thing, and threw most of our stuff into storage, probably 90, 95% of our stuff, threw the rest into my car, uh, you know, all the necessities for exercise, you know, working from home, uh, the little things, and 
have been working at Airbnbs and a variety of locations over the last, uh, I guess, four or five months now. So it's been fun. It's been a blast. That's living it to the fullest. Trying, trying to, yeah. You recently resigned as an external wholesaler at a top tier asset management firm. That's true. That's true. Why? So, yeah. So I, uh, I have resigned in the last couple of months um, and, uh, and moved on to, in my opinion, greener pastures. Um, so when I had spoken to you on the podcast last, I think um, I was kind of talking about a variety of different things that I enjoyed about the job. I enjoyed about the career uh, and the, the trajectory. Um, there are obviously things that uh, you know, that, that weren't satisfying enough for me. And they kind of, they kind of fall into the bucket that I think you were just talking about where you were sort of alluding to like, you know, does this one travel schedule two compensation three industry four like learning curve all match what I want for myself in the next five, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, so for full context, I've moved on to a FinTech company. Uh, it is a startup. I will be in sales there again. Um, and I'm very happy with my decision so far. Um, very, very happy with it. The reason why some of the main reasons why, um, I decided to start looking were several fold. Um, and to your point, I would echo this too. The manager that I had starting at the beginning of the year who took over um, was a phenomenal guy, uh, was a fantastic manager. A lot of people leave managers, not companies. That was not the case for me. Um, this guy was great. He treated me super well, um, and I learned a lot underneath him. But what I found in my role and then kind of across the industry, for ETF wholesaling, uh, and otherwise, SMA, um, you know, institutional wholesaling, whatever it might be, whatever you find yourself doing in that world, I found a lot of people who were sitting in those jobs terminally. That was their job until they retired. And a lot of those people, in my view and from my perspective, I was not envious of. They're their lives were not particularly, um, the prospect of living those lives was not particularly exciting to me. Being on the road, you know, for four or five days a week for the next, you know, conceivably 20, 30 years um, was not super interesting to me. I found that a lot of those people kind of got stuck, like from a learning perspective, from a growth perspective. I found that already that I was, I was falling into that where I was covering my territory for a few years. And stuff started to get sort of easy. Like you have relationships and I'm sure you felt this way too. Like you have relationships, you know, you can monetize or capitalize on some of those relationships pretty well. You understand how the territory works. There are new players in the territory, obviously, as time goes on, maybe your coverage changes a little bit within your, your company, but overall, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, uh, it's a terminal role, you know, and, and, and it's the kind of role where like you learn a lot really fast and then things sort of like tail off. And that's what I found. And, I, and that's kind of what I was saw, was seeing from other people who had my job for a while. Um, 
And not to mention like job security. So that's another element where, you know, we had a guy, one of the best salespeople that I had ever seen. Um, I did meetings with him. You know, I, he started, uh, you know, a couple of years at um, my company, a couple of years after I was there and, and he got let go. And, you know, the guy's like mid forties, he's a phenomenal salesperson. And they were just like, nah, we think we can do this better remotely from, you know, one of our offices. And we don't need you out in the field. And so, you know, I'm talking to this guy and I'm like, so what's your plan? You know, like there's so many different things that you can do. You're an incredible salesperson. You have all these contacts. And he's like, nobody wants to talk to me about anything except ETF or SMA sales. And I'm like, man, that would suck. That would suck. You've got like, you've got this guy who, in my opinion, one of the most skilled and professional salespeople I'd ever met. And he's just pigeonholed. And in my view, that's like not how I want to, that's not how I want to go out. I don't want to, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to have more doors closed than open for me um, as my career goes on from like a, a decision-making standpoint. Um, and certainly in a sales position, you want to be able to have transferable skills that can go from one industry to another, especially when, you know, there's so many industries that are really hot right now and are growing rapidly, um, which was the case with ETFs when I first joined and, you know, definitely a little bit less, um, over the last few years, you know, it's cooled off quite a bit. Um, so yeah, there were a variety of reasons. Um, you know, I, I joined a much smaller company, which, uh, which is another benefit in my eyes. Um, it gives me sort of the ability to experience something drastically different, you know, going from a very large company to, you know, a company under a thousand employees is, uh, to me, just like a new experience. Um, and you know, it's in a new sector of finance, you know, it's sort of FinTech. Um, and so, uh, this is like another tool in my toolkit, you know, to be able to kind of learn a new product set, um, a new market and really just try to expand as much as I can. Um, and the comp helps. It's it's a pretty good bump in comp. Um, you know, we get equity, which is awesome. Uh, not something that I would have gotten at my old uh, firm. Um, and I'm around a bunch of young people who are like really hungry, really interested in growth for themselves. Um, and in the company, there's a lot of belief in the company. Uh, and culture is a really, really, really big uh, emphasis for the company. My interview process was very thorough, uh, a lot of rounds, um, and it's because they want to hire people with sort of like-minded values outside of just like, we're here to make money, which is usually what you find in terms of like common threads and common values at a large financial firm. So um, so yeah, all those reasons, um, I suppose, probably a few more, but uh, maybe they'll come to me. Can you speak to maybe some of those new elements that you are learning that you don't think would have really been ever available ever, ever available to you from what you understood the wholesaling career path to be? Yeah. So one is, um, at least with ETFs, if you're like an ETF wholesaler, you're not going to you're not going to do any contracting. You're not going to like walk someone through the entire sales process. You might be you might be sitting there in their office while they make a trade. But you're not going to like walk them through, you know, and put timelines on legal documents and you know onboarding systems and things like that. That is something that I'm doing now, um, and that's something that I think is a skill. I think it's something that's going to be pretty awesome to to have um, a lot of experience with. 
Um, the segment is different. I've never worked with this segment before. Um, in uh, finance, I've worked with you know pensions, endowments, foundations. Um, I think I mentioned all sorts of you know asset managers, um, RIAs, and financial advisors. I've never worked with the segment I'm working with now. So, uh, so that's another element that that is pretty uh, pretty phenomenal and pretty interesting. And then other other than that, I mean, just from like a more from a more meta standpoint, like I get to see how the C-suite of this company is building what I think will be a unicorn company and do it well. And that's like an entrepreneurial skill set that I hope to sort of, you know, uh, absorb as time goes on to say like, all right, this is what, this is what a, a startup is, is doing that has its sights on a billion dollar valuation. And like, this is how they run their processes. This is how they run their systems. This is how they treat their people. And I've got to say that that, that has been the most interesting so far and most inspiring. The onboarding process, I'm a complete remote employee. So you would expect this system to kind of suck, right? Because you're not in the, not in the, in the office, you know, you're, you're disconnected from people, but I've never seen such robust onboarding process. Like in, in any of the roles that I've had doing anything at all, in person or otherwise, and it's a completely remote job. So that in and of itself has just been crazy because I wasn't expecting it at all. And it's just been fantastic. So I would say the biggest learning for sure has been just being able to observe these professionals build this thing um, and see like how it is that they're doing it. Um, it's It's been wild. Wholesaling is a mature industry. Yeah. Right. It's a mature industry and there's regulation. Yeah. So that that drastically impacts really like the defined nature of your role and how you how you interact. And then you get to explore this more startup experience, which is almost like growth at all costs because we have a mission and we're trying to get there, which obviously there's great products and services, but also at the same time for the team and the employees, it's what you're reaching for. It's a common, it's it's a common achievement. Um, and one thing you brought up too is like the like the comp is there. When you talk about careers and growth path and income throughout your lifetime, I think people would anchor in the thought that like you can't make any more money anywhere else than wholesaling. And now I'm just like, I got I got friends that are remote employees that are making 225, 250, never have to do an in-person meeting and are doing well in sales. Like, how does that sound? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> Or like, yeah. or do you want to sit at a desk uh, and hope that you get your your hand, you know, your you raise your hand and get picked to go move to a remote territory that marginally impacts that firm's revenue each year and your job's vulnerable for the rest of your life? Right, right, right. Hey, how does it sound to live wherever you want, make two fifty, and be remote for the rest of your career? Or you can move to St. Louis uh, and travel around Kansas and Missouri for the rest of your life. You don't have any friends or family there. And maybe you'll make that kind of money over the long term, but the first year, eh, probably not. And the second year, eh, probably not. And and by the third oh, year, we'll we'll realize it could be remote, and we won't even have someone in there. <laughs> right. And then you know we're going to move to a hybrid model, and who the hell knows what's going to happen to your job? That's right. We're just being we're we're joking on on half of that on half. Of yeah. That. Yeah. I mean, th- so that was like that. You, you're jogging my memory a little bit here. This this beer is uh is sitting heavy on my brain. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. And that is a big element of why I wanted to look around too. I think wholesaling will always exist. 
I think that I do too. The, the I actually, I that, actually think there's some really good growth opportunities right now in wholesaling. Yes. Yes. In certain places. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I do think based on what I saw and the trends that I saw in, you know, this top asset management firm that mutual fund, ETF, SMA wholesaling is declining on the whole in terms of what people used to get out of it in that you're making three, four, 500 grand a year and you're out having steak dinners with clients. You're doing this, you're doing that. You're traveling all the time. You're doing all this cool shit. You're playing golf every Friday. I think that COVID has accelerated the decline of that type of way that people do business. And I think that your client in Vermont being like, hey, dude, I don't really need to see you is like a good example of what is a trend that is going to continue to precipitate that decline. Because I think that a lot of people can do very well selling mutual funds, ETFs, SMAs, et cetera, like this, like on Zoom, just having conversations with clients. And I saw my budget, you know, for travel and expenses uh, get cut. I saw that it was probably going to continue that way. And then I saw, not just at my company, but at others too, they were introducing these new roles called hybrid roles. And these hybrid roles, at some companies, they were paying a lot of money. They were great, you know, like they were really cool um, for folks, but they were cutting into the like sales executive role, the guy who's running the top accounts in those territories. Because people are, you know, managers, I think rightly, frankly, are saying, like, all right, do we need to pay this top guy 600 grand when we can pay this other person to live in like Scottsdale or Philadelphia? And we'll pay him 300 or 250 instead. And he doesn't have to travel around anywhere because this guy who's actually getting paid 600, it's more like 650 or 700 because we need to give him a T&E budget. You know, we need to give him the ability to like travel around and like sponsor conferences and like sponsor client events and stuff. And so that was, that was almost like writing on the wall to me. I was like, all right, long-term, I'm not super stoked on the, on the jobs that people above me have. Okay. So that's red flag. Number one. Number two, I think in terms of priority, number two is like, all right, what's happening to these jobs? And to me, I was like, I don't want, I don't want to be stuck in a situation where like, oh, now we're hiring a hybrid for like the West coast. And, you know, now my client list is shortened by two or 300 names. And, you know, now every day I've got to justify even more why this dude in, you know, Brookline mass uh, shouldn't be doing my job for me when he's doing it for a third of the cost or a quarter of the cost or whatever, you know? So, um, but I agree. I think there are areas that absolutely are growing. I think a lot of like, I think a lot of fintech stuff is growing pretty quickly, frankly. And I think that there are still like really, really good jobs that are going to be stable long-term at some of these top asset managers because people are going to need, these companies are going to need salespeople and they're going to need people to like go to conferences. They're going to need people to, you know, meet face-to-face with top clients. That's just going to be less, I think, over time than it is right now. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was, that was good. You jogged my memory on that. Cause I, that was a big factor as well. Yeah. There's a, there's just so many 
I think I've, I've probably used this term so many times throughout these like season one of the episodes, but just like evolving and growing that like the specific role just, and it, be, it becomes like a pretty meta thought when you like spin your wheels on it's like, okay, like X, Y, and Z, the coming up of this role and the, the career path of wholesaling was based on the premise that spent taking out individual advisors uh, or, or people that make investment choices on behalf of their clients. If you take care of them, they'll take care of you and you meet them, you build relationships, the more that their practice grows, your sales can grow, all is good. Mm. I'm just wondering 10 to 15 years from now, it's like, there's so many screens that exist. Um, even a company like Y charts, I'll give Y charts a, a shout out. Hopefully we'll get them on the podcast soon, but like, you sponsorship can, up, sponsorship yeah, 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 up, yeah. Y charts. Hey, um, Y charts <laughs> sponsor us. We'll, uh, the, the ad, yeah, yeah, we'll know. I guess I just gave him kind of a free ad. Uh, you're welcome for the, the first one is on me. We'll talk yeah. about, um, <laughs> uh, but it, like, I don't, I don't know, man. Like when you see a screen like that, like there were just some times where like it, when it's, t- when you look at numbers, you can articulate and explain your differentiators, uh, why, why you think your product is consistent, whatever. But then the numbers reveal themselves and it's like, well, you're, you're just as good with something else versus this. And that's probably a trend that's getting mirrored in the financial planning world, right? Like, like the financial mm. advisor community is getting driven more towards fiduciary mm. financial planning, where these firms are prioritizing helping these clients, their, their retail clients, mom and pop or whatever local charity, have a financial plan that's designed to get them where they need to go in whatever amount of time. At that point, if you're making that investment decision, you're not necessarily, it doesn't matter if you use this particular firm or the other one. And there's more data that, and tools that are individually accessible that someone can find on their own without a wholesaler's voice. You're absolutely hitting the nail on the head. I remember one time a couple of years ago, a colleague of mine showed me, showed me the fidelity.com like fund comparison tool. And he just comes over to my desk and he's like, he just, he was a little, he's a bit of a cynic. I love this guy though. And he, he comes over and he's like, Hey, do you want to know where our jobs are going? And I had, it was like no context. He was just like, Hey, do you want to know where our jobs are going? And I was like, uh, yeah. Like, what are you talking about? He took my keyboard. He typed in fidelity.com. He went to the fun comparison tool. And he just showed me that any question an advisor has ever asked me about why our fund versus some other fund is sitting on this website. And so the thought of like being that heavily commoditized was just like a red flag. I was like, all right, this this is where information is going. And to your point too, there's a ton of pressure on financial advisors specifically to act as fiduciaries, right? So before, before that was happening, where they were not under that kind of pressure from the DOJ or otherwise, you had the opportunity to maybe get some extra trades because of your relationship, right? because you're just a great people person, because this person likes you a lot, because you guys get along great, because you remember their kid's birthday, or you went golfing a few times last year, you know, like there's opportunities to get wins. But with the standard of like, I need to pick the best thing for my client. And the best thing is typically is how the the industry is going, the cheapest and like generally best performing. And 
that there's like a lot of those options. It just kind of feels like, all right, well, where, where do I go now? Like, what do I, what do I do? I have to go to a place that's providing the cheapest, best, most consistent options to be like long-term successful. And again, I think that there are places like that. And I think that those wholesalers, I know for a fact are doing very, very well. Um, and I think they're going to do super well for a very long time. But like that is seemingly from where I was sitting, where the industry is heading. And it's really hard to make like an outsized impact with a bag. You know, we talked about this last time, like what kind of bag do you have that you're carrying around? Like, is it an A bag, a B bag, a C bag? Like, unless you have like that A bag that's got super low cost stuff and you know, that advisors feel comfortable with like going to court over because that's effectively what they're concerned about. They're concerned about covering their own ass, right? Which makes sense. They they should be concerned about that. It's like, shit's going to get tough for you. You know, like it's as a wholesale, it's going to be really hard. I'm sure you felt that, you know, selling value. You know what I mean? It's like, this is, this can be difficult. Um, and so, yeah, so it just it seems like the industry is moving in that direction. And yeah, for me, I was like, uh, all right, well, let's let's cut our losses. Let's run. Let's see if we can do something else, you know. And those are those are just our amongst professional friends. Those are those are like our personal opinions, right? Based on our personalities, our career ambitions, and our experiences 100%. in the field. Like that's for the audience and everyone that's that's listening in. It's like we we like I'm we I'm might doing, be totally wrong. Oh, completely, be completely wrong. Right. And and there's probably a lot of there's probably a lot of people that might listen to this and be like that's such a naive and also like juvenile perspective. Yeah, sure. Which yeah. which is totally fair. I totally welcome that fair. criticism, please. Yeah, absolutely. But but again, like we're I'm I am doing this or we're doing this because we love we love the industry, we love the people, we love the career path. It just happens to be here's the things that we considered thoughtfully. Uh, as we determined the career that we wanted to have in sales and then specifically more nuanced in kind of like the financial industry. So it's definitely, uh, you know, for what it's worth, I don't know if anyone's listening to this, that's either a desk manager or has seen a lot of people turn over or just leave their companies in the last year. Possibly this is some of the, a window into the thought behind some of those decisions. But you know, it's funny though, like I'll like completely renege all the previous comments I just said though, you can actually make a difference with an individual relationship. Like, and that's so tangible. One of the first uh, meetings that I had, like in the most recent role that I had, I sat down and the guy was like, Hey, I don't really care like what I buy for clients. Um, as long as you buy us and like sponsor our client events, I'll buy your stuff. I don't care at all. <laughs> I was like, this feels terrible. <laughs> it's like, this feels awful, dude. Like, what, why are you doing business this way? This is terrible. But I will say too, to, to renege on what, or I don't know how to pronounce, how do you pronounce that word? What did you say? Renege? Yeah, I, there, I, I said renege or renege. Well, the audio tape will be the, the be all. I mean, this is all, all right. recorded. So well, if, I, if I'm completely wrong, we'll get a, uh, we'll get a fact check. To do the same word as what you said before. Yeah, uh, thank you. The job and the career path offered me the opportunity to do exactly what I'm doing now, which is awesome. So without this background, and again, like not saying that this background is like a bad path. It was just for me, I was like, long-term for the future, I don't want to be doing this my entire career. But what it did offer me and afford me was the opportunity to get this, in my opinion, sick job where I'm like 
stoked to go to work and I'm like, I'm like excited to talk to clients and I'm excited to work with the people that I'm working with around doing the thing that we're, you know, that we're focused on doing. And I wouldn't have had that opportunity if I didn't go the wholesaling route. You know what I mean? Like there was no other, I was a political science major. Like there's no, there's no like clear path for us poli sci nerds, like to get to FinTech sales. You know what I mean? So it's like, without this, it would not have been uh, an opportunity. So I'm, I'm grateful as all hell for that. What are the things that you are absolutely going to miss? I always viewed my travel and expense budget as like a fun benefit, like a cool way that I would do things that I otherwise would never do. And like what? Well, you know, one of the things, for example, that I I talked about last time was like going to Um, I think like Schwab impact once. And it was just like amazing. It was just so cool. You know, it's like this crazy conference. There's like all sorts of wild stuff. I would never in the middle of November, like decide to go down to San Diego and like, you know, buy tickets to this uh, concert, you know, for a band I've never seen before, but you know, it's just, there, there are just like elements of, of the industry like the conference circuit or, you know, expectations around like how you treat clients. So like you go out, you guys go to, you know, Capitol Grill, you go, you have like a nice meal and, you know, you get to hang out, shoot the shit and talk a little bit of shop. And like, that's like a very consistent, very consistent part of your travel. Um, You know, the exploration aspect is another one where, a good example for me was the first time I went to Bend, Oregon. Would have never gone to Bend, Oregon in my life. I wouldn't have probably ever heard of it. But I got there and I was like, holy shit, this place rocks. I was like, this is this is amazing. This is so cool. And, you know, so there, there are like elements of the travel that are just so uh, unique, I think, to like a normal or like a, a typical like career trajectory where you're like just working in an office, you know, nine to five. And like, you go to the same office every single day and you, you know, talk with the same people and, you know, you have like a, you have a great community at your office or whatever, but like you, you're doing stuff like on the weekends and like, whatever that is, that's like your novelty. Right. And with that job, the novelty is kind of like every day which is really interesting and like really cool. I think super interesting. Yeah. Like it really is. You can, well, that's almost like a bit, like the benefit of travel, like personal life and work mm. life aside. Like why do people love traveling so much? Cause it's novelty, like new places, new yeah. experiences, things that you could have never drawn up in your regular day-to-day life. You will come across or, or have happened to you simply because you're in a different place at a different time than maybe your normal routine. And then 100%. you do that. Like when you do that, you know, three to five days a week. It's, it's like, holy shit, this is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. It's honestly awesome. Yeah. It's honestly awesome. One of the, one of the best nights of my entire life was because of the wholesaling career path. Like, tell us, tell us it, it, I mean, it was for, if the demographic listening to this is like around 30 years old, the, I was at a particular conference um, for a, like a platform-based, I guess they're an asset management firm, but our product was on you know, this large platform that thousands and thousands of advisors use. 
and they rented out just for the conference. So there, there's like 300 people at this conference. It was like their top producer thing. The entirety of Harry Potter world for the entire night from 8 p.m. to midnight. And it was just, it was just that party. There was, it was private. Like I would do, I, I, so I went on every ride, like fucking six times. I was, <laughs> I was, there was like this crew. I actually have a few of those. It was like amazing. I met these people. Like I met this crew of people during the conference. Um, they were like at a nearby booth or something. And a guy that I knew said, Hey, this guy's going to be there. He's an awesome guy. You should say hello. So like, we had cocktails at the hotel bar and this event was going on and we, we, we were drinking, hanging out for like six hours together. And I was like, that was one of the coolest nights of my entire life. Yeah. Hell yeah. And, and it was because I happened to be representing my asset management firm at this event and this event provided it. So you're completely right in the sense that like, if there's any regret or opportunity cost, it's like that specific environment. And it, that's why I love this stuff. And that's why I'm hoping to keep this platform in the podcast for financial professionals to like share these stories because that's, yeah. that's what makes it so cool and unique. Like definitely. But yeah, that was one of the coolest fire oh, man. Just a crazy, crazy evening. So awesome. Like that. And that's probably, that's probably the biggest thing on this. This, this job has no travel requirement. Um, but I'm trying to fill that in with like personal travel and the fact that it's remote kind of allows me to do that. I've got a colleague now who's been living in Amsterdam the last couple of months, you know, like <laughs> just because they can. And so it's like, you know, the, the opportunity cost is there because it's like, all right, well, I'm not spending my own money. I'm like going, you know, representing this company and you know, everything is paid for. I don't have to worry about like anything personally. I just have to like do my job and do it well while I'm out here. Um, so for what we've been doing, you know, obviously we got to, we gotta like pay for the Airbnbs we're staying at. You know, it's not like I'm like going out and having client dinners for you know a hundred or two hundred or three hundred bucks, and then you know not worrying about the bill at the end of the night. Like, so there's that. But that's kind of how I'm trying to combat the uh, that lack, I guess. Um, maybe not like consciously, but just like you know we have the opportunity, so we might as well just go as many places as we can and see as much stuff as we can. You know, enjoy enjoy ourselves anyone who's listening that's like an inside salesperson like that's why you want to become an external right right that's it. to do that it's like, that in the comp and it's yes, awesome yeah exactly what will you never miss well one thing one thing that i found at my old company was that people were the management specifically was like really pushing to like a back to normalcy type uh meeting expectation and working out of the Pacific Northwest, covering a bunch of the West Coast. Um, I did not find that people were super jazzed on meeting me in person anymore. Um, and so while travel is awesome, it's also, to me, sometimes very stressful because it's like, fuck, I'm going to Phoenix in a week supposed to be there for four days and you know i i don't have enough meetings on the calendar and especially in a covid environment where people are like don't come into my office dude i don't give a shit why can't we do this over zoom again like what are you talking about and so i was getting a starting to see a lot of people internally at the old company who were like oh can't wait to go back like in september to like the old way 
And I was just like, you guys are out of your fucking mind. Then you're like, hey, the last thing that I want to do, friend, is see you yeah. five days a week after yeah. not seeing you for an entire year. Yeah, dude. It's like, it- <laughs> which, which, which is not, again, this is not an admonishment on the company or no. people that want to be in an office. Like, I actually prefer having an office space. Like, it, I, I get a little oh, bit and bothered. I'm not even talking about the office stuff. I'm not but, even, just strictly the travel stuff. Yeah. Okay. Tr- yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Interrupted there. So, okay. No, so, no, no, no. so you're, so you're, you're not going to miss. Let me, so I can phrase this correctly for just, the audience. Yeah. Just bifurcating so, the two, just the travel specifically in a time when people do not want to travel. So it's like an arbitrary pressure on your job performance because people just don't want to meet in a time when there's a pandemic happening. And so for me and my old job, they were like, wow, can't wait to like make these meeting targets again. And like, wow, yeah, I can't wait for everybody to be on the road again. It's like, well, if nobody wants to fucking meet with me, why are we doing this? Like, what is our job performance not like just fine during 2020 and the rest of 2021? Like, did did every financial firm everywhere not fucking kill for the last 18 months? Like, what are you guys talking about? Like, what clearly this works. And so, and that's, you know, that's why you guys are moving to hybrid models and stuff. It's like, this shit works. So that was one thing that I was kind of just like, all right, like I'm, I'm not really feeling this like faux rah, rah, like low impact, but like pretending like it's high impact stuff where it's like, you're going to have to be on the road. You're going to have to have 20 meetings a week, 30 meetings a week, whatever it is. And you know, nobody wants to meet with you. It just, it just did not sit with well with me at all. It was like, what are you, what, are you guys looking at that makes you think that people are going to want to meet with us in the same volume as before? It didn't make any sense at all. So I will not miss that. But what you're talking about going back to offices and stuff, dude, I'm, I'm all for like being, you know, inside of communities and stuff like that. Me saying like, are you guys crazy? Is more talking about like, <laughs> I don't want to talk shit, but like, frankly, my management at my old company being like, Oh, we're going to get back to the way things were. It's like, no, we're not dude. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. And that's, we're just, we're just all here lying to ourselves. If anyone right, is excited right, about that, I don't right. know. It's, I feel bad because it's a really difficult predicament. If you are management, it's easy for us to be discussing this and bantering because we're not managers. Um, right. we're, we don't have somebody above us. That's probably telling us, Hey, we need asses in the seats because we need them in the seats. So I don't care how you get it done. Just get it done. That's a reality of someone who's in a management role at an asset manager firm. Yep. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, oh man, we're just like lying to ourselves. If anyone like hybrid flex optional to be in the office, for sure. There's definitely collaboration works, but specific like internal wholesaling. I've, I, I hope to God that like internal wholesalers don't have to be anchored to desks anymore, right? Like who cares where you make 35 to 40 phone calls from? <laughs> yeah, I I will say I will say the one the one thing that you get from that situation, and again, this doesn't have to come from five days a week, is the ability to learn from others how they are positioning things. Yeah, other people on the phone. Like yeah. I had a, I, 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 had I my, fully agree. I fully agree. My with internal that. started during COVID and didn't have that luxury. I guess is what it would be called now. Um, or opportunity, you know? And so that I think is like a hindrance, not to say that he was bad. It's just like, that's a hindrance to the learning curve because you, especially if you're coming in brand new, it's like, you know, you can do that as a wholesaler because you've done it. You've listened, you know, you, you have the experience you're in the field. Yeah. Because you had it, you had it. That's right. 
man, I feel like this is, I feel like I'm just like checking and balancing myself. I'm like, yeah, here's yeah. a great idea. And then it's like, yeah, wow, yeah, yeah. here's a reason why that's stupid yeah. because, <laughs> because yeah. you need to be in person. You're right though. God damn. You're, which, like, talk, you're so which right is, on that. Especially it, for young, especially for like younger, you know what I mean? Like those up and yeah. coming and they, yeah. there needs to be, it's healthy and beneficial and productive for, uh, and a good career experience for those more entry-level employees to be surrounded by those that have experience they can learn from, be a sponge and absorb stuff. And then also just have that like group accountability. Dude. And not to mention, like, imagine if you graduated college in 2020 and so your last semester was like all remote. And then like you come into the workforce and you're like completely remote. What the fuck are you going to get excited about? You're like sitting in your apartment. And you don't know your coworkers, really. And you're doing this thing that, like, I don't know, probably most companies, I would bet, are pretty shitty at onboarding people remotely, or at least they were back then. And you know, people, you know, places are probably getting better now. But it's like, how do you how do you create morale and like momentum around like what you're doing if not for, you know some of these people with less experience being in an office or being like around their peers and like, you know, getting jazzed about what they're doing and learning from each other and stuff. Yeah. That's a great point. Even we'll go backtracking too. We are assuming that new hires are in their apartment throwback to, to, to earlier days when I was paying off student debt, still living at my parents. Yeah. yeah. Dude, good point. <laughs> going, great point. Like, couldn't even live in a city yet. So I was going commuting yeah. in out of work to, to the sales desk. And even though it was a, a little bit of a jungle, it was at least, a way for me to get out of my parents' house as I was Dude, like post grad paying off debt yes. aggressively. Ex- excellent point. And that makes it even shittier because you're not leaving your parents' house all day. At least, and you know, I did the same thing. At least for you and I, we got to go out into the city like when we weren't living in our parents' house for Yeah, years, get pumped. You know? I know. Yeah. Oh my God. There's so much beauty. There's so much beauty in the innocence of new employees and how they get ah. pumped up. They get pumped up for the team happy hour and Man, sales desk just fucking jaded us, huh? I guess so. But but you know, it like it like really speaks to what you were saying before about like the the dilemma that sales managers where they gotta be like, all right, well, somebody above me is telling me that, you know, we're wasting all this money on real estate leases and we need people in the seats. Somebody also is telling me that, like, you know, without somebody observing and lording over the more junior members of the team, why do we need a sales manager? So now my job is in jeopardy, I think, you know, and like, and now my boss is telling me that we need people there because of, you know, costs and, you know, perception and whatever. So we need people in the seats. But at the same time, it's like, you wouldn't be wrong to say, why the fuck do I need to sit in this desk versus my desk somewhere else, you know, wherever the hell I want, Jackson, Wyoming or Amsterdam or wherever the fuck it is. But there's that other element too, where it's like, actually, you'd probably benefit, especially joining new to a team, new to a, uh, your career, hearing other people on the phones, hearing people, you know, interact, like seeing what that social environment is like and like getting used to it, you know, at least for a little while, you know what yeah, I mean? Pick, picking up on different cues and, and even, even to the benefits of just participating in, in what that particular company provides cultural elements of the desk that are like work related. So like if you have a presentation contest Mm. or if you have a whatever weekly meeting where you kind of like pitch something, it's like you, 
you go through those trial and errors together. Like that's almost like an essential aspect of like building a community and something that people care about. And it's so funny because now it's like, I still have people that I'm friends with from like three jobs ago because we had the shared experience of this whatever pitch meeting and you and you look back on it fondly and it's like it's just stuff that you do it's like it's what you do as employees and you can look back I, I look I look back on it way more fondly because it did teach me things um, and that's definitely a major benefit of these larger groups um, even though obviously there's definitely some cons to that but on the pro side it's like those were those were awesome moments and appreciating them for what they are we covered a lot here <laughs> yeah thank you for conducting this exit interview we will please send back all of your company owned laptops and materials you know we'll uh, will. we'll receive it and we will we'll keep you on the radar for for further podcasts thanks for having me thanks for listening find us on instagram at internal use only podcast or email us at internal use only podcast at gmail.com.